The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. In the summer of 2010, 29-year-old Linnell Barsock just about had it all and was living out her dream life in Palmdale, California. Or so it seemed. She had a beautiful home on a quiet suburban street and a successful career working as a licensed vocational nurse. But there was just one thing missing. The perfect person to share it all with. Tragically, Linnell's passionate search for the final missing piece to her dream life would lead her into an unescapable nightmare. Join me now as we delve into the case of Linnell Barsock, a vibrant, compassionate woman entangled in two deadly relationships. You'll discover how fragile trust can be and the lengths people will go to to obtain money and love or the promise of it. Palmdale, California, is a city nestled in the Antelope Valley, north of Los Angeles. Flanked by the shimmering blue San Gabriel mountain range looming in the distance, it's a quiet suburban stretch of golden desert. It's also a haven for new families and all those seeking the security and freedom that can be found out in the high desert. Under these expansive Californian skies, is a spacious suburban street where Linnell Barsock resided, Rocky Lane. A street like so many other characterizing streets in the city, covered in a thin dusting of desert sand, beautiful, elegant homes are guarded by thirsty grass, along with children's toys and gardening equipment that have been forgotten on front yards. With its wide boulevards and spacious suburban streets, there's a place there to build, to plan, and to work out what to do next with your life. The houses that lined either side of the road were mainly large, detached residences with double garages to accommodate usually more than one car per household. Linnell lived in a 3,700-square-foot detached home with a cream-colored exterior and double garage. Hidden away behind the white garage doors was a BMW sports car. Although Linnell's home didn't stand out amidst the many identical homes on either side of hers, it was very, very special. Because it was Linnell Barsock's dream home. Linnell, who was affectionately known as Nell by those close to her, has been described by friends and family 
as the quintessential quiet type growing up, blessed with a beautiful personality and an infectious smile that could be seen in almost all of her photographs. It was a sweetly, shy kind of smile, the kind of smile given by someone completely unaware of just how beautiful they are. Despite being the quiet type throughout her childhood years, by the time Linnell reached her 20s, her personality had shifted drastically. Linnell was described by friends as a mover and a shaker, a social magnet. And as far as her love life was concerned, well, she was still figuring things out. At the age of 29, Linnell had a successful career and a live-in boyfriend named Louis Bonware. Together, they purchased their home on Rocky Lane, and Linnell was leasing the sleek BMW she usually parked in the garage. On the surface, life appeared to be good and simple for the couple, but for Linnell, there was a slight complication of two other relationships. Although she was living with Lewis, she was also secretly dating another guy named Aikamuna, who also worked in healthcare. And we'll get to the other relationship later. It wasn't clear why Linnell was seeing someone else, but it's quite possible Lewis's unpredictable past behavior could have been a major contributing factor. In the past, Lewis had stalked Linnell and had even driven her off the road once, causing her to crash. And is tragically the case for many survivors of domestic violence. Linnell never pressed charges against her partner and stayed with Lewis. In order to keep conversations secretive, Linnell's other love interest, Ike, had given her another cell phone as a gift. When Linnell woke up on June 16, 2010, it was another gorgeous day in Palmdale, California, with the mercury topping out at 84 degrees and clear blue sunny skies overhead. There was nothing to suggest it was going to be the last day of her young life. In fact, she'd made plans with her best friend, Lene Austin, to come over and weave her hair. That was the plan anyway. Several hours later, Linnell's peaceful Rocky Lane home would turn into a crime scene. The Palmdale Sheriff Station had been relatively quiet when Lorraine Austin suddenly burst in, inconsolably upset and agitated. With her clothes and hands smeared with blood, Lorraine alerted police that her friend had just been murdered. Lorraine explained how she had just made her way over to Linnell's house to style her hair, but arrived to find her friend in a heated argument. Apparently, Lewis had discovered the extra cell phone Ike had given to Linnell. When Lorraine walked in, she said Lewis was furious, ranting and raving at Linnell about her dating another guy behind his back. Hoping things would eventually settle down between the couple, Lorraine said she left, planning to return later. When she went back around 5 p.m. and walked up Linnell's driveway, she said she noticed something laying inside the open garbage, and it looked like a body. And to her horror, she said it was. Lorraine told police Linnell's body was surrounded by blood and that her head 
was covered in a black plastic garbage bag. She said she checked Linnell's bare foot for a pulse, but didn't find one. At that point, Lorraine apparently didn't know it was her friend laying on the floor. Fearing the worst, she said she knelt down and slid back the plastic bag. And that's when she realized it was her friend, Linnell Barsock. Dazed and confused, Lorraine said she got back up on her feet but slipped and landed in a pool of blood. That's when she heard a noise coming from inside the house and realized she wasn't alone. Following the sounds, Lorraine said she walked into the house from the garage and looked up to see Lewis standing at the top of the stairs, staring right back at her with a gun in his hand. Fearing for her life, Lorraine said she ran out of the door and headed straight for the sheriff's department. After hearing Lorraine's account, police moved quickly to bring in Louis Bonware for questioning. When Detective Robert Kenny interviewed Louis, he noted a few things he found off straight from the get-go. First, although Louis cried when he was asked about Linnell's murder, there were no tears. While being interrogated, Lewis also pleaded with detectives, saying, You gotta help me. You gotta help me. You've got to help me find the murderer. Lewis stressed the strength of his and Linnell's relationship, which also struck a suspicious nerve with the detectives. They'd been told conflicting accounts from friends and family who were interviewed. What they had heard was that Lewis was a jealous boyfriend had stalked Linnell, and was prone to bursts of rage. While questioning Lewis, Detective Kenny also noticed the suspect had an angry-looking scar on his left cheek and wondered if it had anything to do with the fight Lorraine had mentioned walking in on mere hours before Linnell's tragic death. And if all that hadn't been enough to bring suspicion on Lewis, Linnell's brother had also told them he'd seen Lewis on his computer, looking up flights to Miami and making bank transactions. That's when they suspected Lewis had murdered Linnell and was trying to make arrangements to flee the country. Meanwhile, back at the crime scene, police had made several discoveries. One item of particular interest was a goodbye letter to Lewis, apparently from Linnell. The letter read, Dear Lewis, I'm leaving you for Ike. He makes money, so you can do whatever you want to do with the house. I'm moving out of state with Ike. We're getting married, so just leave me alone. You can have everything in the house. I've been sleeping with him for four months now, and he's the one that pays for my car. So good luck in life. Goodbye, Linnell. There had also been a P.S. included in the letter that had been scratched out, and it said, I'm taking one of the TVs. As detectives continued to question Lewis, they were convinced they'd found their murderer. Motive? Check. History? Check. It all added up. A man with a history of jealous rage finds his girlfriend is seeing another man behind his back, sees red, and then murders her. 
Detectives felt confident they had their man. They had already spoken to the other boyfriend, Ike, whose alibi happened to pan out, so they knew he couldn't have done it. The investigation was only awaiting two other things. Checking out Lewis's alibi and the results from the physical evidence. Mary Keynes, the senior criminalist in charge of examining the physical evidence, determined Linnell's cause of death had been a single gunshot to the back of her head. She believed Linnell was shot by someone standing directly behind her, execution style, as she was seated watching television. The downward trajectory of the bullet placed the shooter higher than Linnell. A pillow was used as a makeshift silencer, placed between the muzzle of the gun and Linnell's head. After luminol had been applied to the crime scene, Mary Keynes made another interesting discovery. A trail of blood that started inside Linnell's living room was lit up to show it leading out to the garage. That meant the murder hadn't happened in the garage, but rather inside Linnell's home. And then her body was dragged out to the garage for an unknown reason. Next to Linnell's body, crime scene investigators also found several needles used for weaving rolled up in an area rug, a pair of bloody rubber gloves, and a plastic pitcher with a bloody fingerprint. While detectives waited for results on the physical evidence, they went out to check Lewis's alibi to be absolutely certain they had the right person. Lewis had sworn he'd been in Los Angeles, which was about 65 miles south of Palmdale at the time of the murder. He told detectives he'd left his and Linnell's home around noon and drove to LA where he visited several auto body shops. And lo and behold, when police searched his car looking for physical evidence that might tie him to the murder, they discovered auto receipts and bank slips placing him in south-central Los Angeles during the times he had indicated he was there. Detectives then contacted two of the auto shops they found receipts for and requested the release of their security footage from that day. There, in the recordings, as clear as day, was Louis Bonware in south-central Los Angeles at the same time Linnell had been murdered. Lewis's supposed motivation, the driving factor behind detective suspicions of him, had been rendered irrelevant by opportunity. Circumstances clearly showed that Lewis couldn't possibly have committed the crime and he was released from police custody. But now they had a major problem. If Lewis and Ike didn't murder Linnell, who had? Statistics reveal that the majority of murders are committed by people who are already known by the victim. As they re-examined the case, detectives recalled how they had been alerted to Linnell's death by her friend Lorraine. The person who had first discovered her and described the crime scene to police. As they quietly began to investigate Lorraine's life, they uncovered some pretty interesting details. After examining Linnell's internet browsing history, they discovered she'd been involved romantically with a third person. What her browser history revealed was that Linnell had been using the Women Seeking Women section 
of Craigslist. In fact, that's how she met Lorraine Austin just one month before murder. What Linnell may or may not have known at the same time was that Lorraine was also involved with six other women she'd also met on the website. Like Linnell, she also had a live-in boyfriend. In fact, Linnell and Lorraine introduced them to each other. But despite the various relationships Lorraine had been exploring, it was clear she had her hopes of becoming more serious with Linnell. Heavily in debt and without a job, Lorraine expected she'd eventually move in with her. But her hopes were about to be crushed, as homicide detectives soon uncovered. Just days before Linnell's murder, she had sent a text to Lorraine, ending their romantic relationship, stating she just wanted to be friends and wanted to concentrate on her relationship with Lewis. Although devastated, Lorraine seemed accepting of Linnell's decision and agreed to keep things platonic. And then there was the blood. Days later, Lorraine had showed up at the station covered in Linnell's blood. Results of the physical evidence reveal the blood-covered rubber gloves found in the garage contain Lorraine's DNA, placing her at the crime scene. As well, the fingerprints found on the gray plastic pitcher also came back as Lorraine's. And then there was the matter of the weave needles found in the wrapped-up rug. Lorraine said she hadn't gotten the chance to weave Linnell's hair as planned, so why were they there? Handwriting analysis results of the Dear John letter also concluded it hadn't been written by Linnell. By now, you can probably guess who it did match. Lorraine Austin. When they put all their findings together, the detectives working on the case came up with a theory. And that theory involved Lorraine being the one to have made a calculated plan to murder Linnell that June afternoon. Detectives learned Lorraine happened to own a registered 9mm handgun that used the same type of cartridge recovered from the crime scene, which had since mysteriously gone missing. Police believed she had taken the gun to Linnell's house, and then when she sat down to get her hair done, Lorraine reached over and put a pillow to the back of her head before firing the single shot that killed her. She then dragged Linnell's body through the house to the garage, leaving a trail of blood behind that she later cleaned up. They theorized Linnell's first plan had been to try to get Linnell's body into the car and then drive out to the desert somewhere to dump her body. They also thought Lorraine had planned on stealing Linnell's car, jewelry, any cash that might have been laying around, and perhaps a TV, referencing the scratched-out blurb about the TV in the goodbye letter. It may have been that Lorraine thought the Dear John letter would prove Linnell and Lewis were having domestic problems and would allow her to come out on top of a failed relationship she felt she lost so much from losing. But when her first plan didn't work out, possibly because she discovered it was too difficult to wrap Linnell's body in the rug and lift her into the trunk. She came up with another plan. 
which was to manufacture evidence and lie about seeing Lewis at the crime scene. She was well aware of his history of jealous anger and knew he'd be considered a prime suspect in the murder. But when detectives asked Lorraine to come in for a polygraph test, she dodged them by saying she would, but then never did. In the meantime, she was busy researching ways to defeat polygraph tests. In March 2011, a warrant was issued for her arrest, but Lorraine had taken off and no one knew where she'd gone. Lorraine Austin had seemingly vanished from the face of the earth, and over a year after Linnell's murder, there was still no leads on her whereabouts. It was like she went underground. Detectives strongly believed she'd fled the state of California altogether and requested assistance from the Los Angeles Fugitive Task Force, who then publicized the case on the TV show, America's Most Wanted. The popular show that started in the late 80s, featuring reenactments of fugitives depicted by actors, interspersed with the host John Walsh. Each episode also featured photographs of dangerous fugitives, as well as a toll-free hotline number where viewers could give information. The episode about Lorraine aired in December of 2011, and it was successful at bringing in a new lead. Over the 2011 Christmas holiday, detectives received a tip that Lorraine Austin was hiding out in the Central American country of Belize, in a town called Puto Gardo, a tiny fishing town midway between Guatemala and Honduras. It was truly a town nestled in the middle of nowhere along the Caribbean coast, the perfect place to hide out miles from any major city or airport. There, Lorraine was going by another name, Crystal, and she was staying at a friend's house. Crystal just also happened to be Linnell's middle name. FBI agents, along with local law enforcement, managed to track Lorraine down and arrested her on January 25th, 2012. The following day, she was returned to the United States to face proper justice. When detectives finally interviewed Lorraine, she told them she'd just been out there on holiday. In fact, the only thing that seemed to get her riled up was when they referred to the America's Most Wanted TV episode about her. She seemed irked because it is suggested she saw Linnell as a meal ticket. She strongly objected to the idea, in her words, mooching off her friends. At Lorraine Austin's trial in 2015, she pleaded not guilty to the murder of Linnell Barsock. The jury heard the defense attorneys argue that the prosecution's case couldn't show any motive for Lorraine killing Linnell, and that after Linnell had ended their relationship, Lorraine was in fact totally fine with them just being friends. But when the prosecution presented their case, they asked the jury, the killer question. Why run away when you're innocent? Lorraine had spent nearly a year hiding out under a false name. She hadn't been there on holiday. The prosecution believed that Lorraine had told the truth 
about one thing, and one thing only. That she did make plans with Linnell to do her hair that day. In fact, they had gone together to buy hair supplies, picked up a few pizzas, and were going to spend the afternoon together. Or so Linnell thought. Lorraine had other plans and came prepared with her 9mm handgun to set things right. She wasn't okay with her and Linnell just being friends. In fact, she felt as though Linnell had crushed her dreams. She wasn't prepared to just let Linnell go on and live her life, especially not with someone else. Despite Lorraine's defense attorney trying to argue that no murder weapon had been recovered and that it was possible another person could have murdered Linnell, the jury just wasn't buying it. On August 13, 2015, after a six-week trial, Lorraine Austin was found guilty of the first-degree murder of Linnell Barsock and received two consecutive sentences of 25 years, a total of 50 years in prison. Finally, five years after Linnell's murder, Lorraine had been held accountable for her death. Following her sentencing, Lorraine made an appeal with her lawyers claiming she hadn't received a fair trial. They argued the court hadn't allowed the prosecution to rule out potential jurors based purely on their ethnicity. The jury that had convicted Lorraine had been made up of six Hispanics, five Caucasians, and one black juror, along with three black alternate jurors and one Caucasian. Her lawyer said that because the prosecution had used its preemptory challenges to rule out a further seven jurors who were black or Hispanic, meant she didn't receive a fair trial. And so Lorraine's conviction hung in the balance while California's Court of Appeal was split on the matter. In late November of 2017, they finally gave a verdict. In a two-to-one ruling, the judges decided on a majority basis that the jury challenges and the trial were in fact fair and determined to uphold Lorraine Austin's conviction. To this day, Lorraine remains in prison while Linnell's family and friends continue to cope with their loss. Linnell Barsock was a talented, beautiful human being who had her future ripped away from her. Like so many others, she hoped to find a healthy, loving relationship and to share her fruitful life with someone she could count on and trust. She'd followed the number one dating safety tip to trust your gut and broke things off with Lorraine after three weeks. But Linnell's dream of a good life had also been Lorraine's dream. She pinned her hopes of achieving that dream with Linnell. Detectives discovered as their part of their investigation that after meeting Linnell, Lorraine had started introducing herself to people online as a nurse, with her own home and a sports car, and was calling herself Crystal. She took Linnell's life and then tried to steal her identity as well. Although the internet and sites like Craigslist have made the search easier for so many to find love, it unfortunately doesn't come without added risks. 
The Washington Post reported in 2016, Craigslist passed its 100 murder mark. The amount of murders that could be linked to connections originating from the site. Current relevant statistics show that 80% of all murders were well acquainted with their victims. And according to a global study by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, approximately 50,000 women are killed every year by an intimate partner. Linnell was put to rest in the Inglewood Park Cemetery by her family and friends. Remembered fondly as a compassionate young woman, and how she made the world a better place by her kind nature and the way she lovingly cared for the sick and injured. She was a successful woman who had carved out so much for herself in her short 29 years. Linnell's family posted memorials honoring their beloved girl's life and her accomplishments, speaking sadly but gratefully of her beautiful smile and her ability to brighten dark moods just with her presence. Accepting their deep ache in missing her, they stated that God had other plans for Linnell. As her family continues to grieve her loss, they can't help but wonder what else Linnell might have accomplished if she was still with them. She will, however, live on in their dreams and sorrowful musings of what could have been a small comfort in the wake of such an enormous loss. Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorecords.com.au slash G E madness. I can feel the madness. Someone's standing at my door. I hope they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run. I can feel the madness. Someone's standing at my door. I hope they can't get in cause.